The minivan, AKA George Niang, is a man of extremes, fierce competitor, and up for a laugh. Like the time he was riding an elevator in Denver with a famous person he didn't know. I'm like, why would he do that? But I'm like, John Mellencamp. John Mellencamp. And I'm like, <laughs> And by so, that time he's gone, right? Yeah, so as I get off the elevator, the doors are closing, and I'm like, John Mellencamp. And <laughs> he disappears in, into the, the night or whatever. And uh, and I remember calling my mom and be like, you're not going to believe who I just ran into on the elevator. And it was just like the most simplistic thing. And I was Googling him. I'm like, that's the guy. Well, he was, after all, born in a small town. George Niang playing big for the 76ers, next on Fresh 24. Sixers lock all windows and doors. George Niang, arguably, your two years with the 76ers have been the best of your pro career. Why do you think that is? Uh, you know, for me, it's I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by uh, some really good players, you know, since I've been here in Philadelphia. Um, I don't think you understand how dominant um, Joel is and the presence that he brings uh, until you get to play alongside him. Uh, defending him is one thing. Uh, being on another team against him is another thing. But, um, you know, being on his team and seeing how defenses react on a night in, night out basis is a whole uh, other thing. So I've been lucky enough, you know, to be on the court with him numerous amount of times where he's been a facilitator uh, and drawn enough attention to get me some shots. Um, James Harden, uh, the same thing. I think me and him have built up, you know, a great rapport, um, you know, since I've been here or, or since he's gotten here. Um, and then just to top it all off, you know, playing for a coach uh, like Doc Rivers, which I've been lucky enough to have two years with him um, that, you know, puts me in positions to be successful. Um, you know, when, before I got here, Doc called me and said he believed in me and my abilities and what I can do. And uh, he's put those into action and and let me grow into the player that I am today. And uh, I'm super thankful for that. So I want to give some love to my girl, Kate Scott, who has come up with her best catchphrase to date. When you hit a three, it's bang, bang, George Niang. It's kind of like taking on a life of its own and you've embraced it as well, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, Kate Scott is so witty and, and thinks on her feet. Um, and now it's kind of I should probably get it trademarked at, at this point. Um, you better ask her first, Bob. <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously, she's a or, feisty or partner. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, it's I don't even sometimes I don't even know if people know my first name at this point, because um, you know, I, I I'm in the streets of Philadelphia and hearing people just say bang, bang. And I ultimately am just know who they're directing that to. But uh, it's super cool. I mean, me and Kate have, have built up a built up a good relationship since she's been here. Um, and it's been awesome. The fact that she can tie in something that is uh, memorable and it's something that I do and uh, loop it in so that fans can can say it and use it. Um, you know, I've even seen uh, people at the game painting it on their 
their chest. So uh, I, I think it's super funny and it's super cool to be uh, tied into your fan base like that, that they embrace you, that Kate has embraced me. Um, and I think that's important. So some say that a little adversity is good for the soul and you've had your share, certainly in the beginning of your career, um, go back to college, you had a serious foot injury. Once you got in the NBA, you were waived a couple of times in and out of the G League. How does that help you? Um, you know, I, I've told someone this before, but when I was in college and I was thinking about my journey to the NBA, I never really saw myself. I don't want to say playing in the NBA. It was always like just getting to the NBA. And I, when I look back on my career and how it's evolved, I always kick myself for not being like, why didn't you envision yourself, you know, out there being a starter or being a playmaker and different things like that. So my first year was, I almost felt like I had made it right. Like I got there. I'm good. This is, you know, um, and then I realized that nothing is going to be given to you. Um, so my first year in Indiana, I think I played a total of 25 games, four minutes a game. Uh, I didn't even average a point a night. Uh, I was one for 12 from three. Um, and uh, I ended up getting cut. And the best thing that happened to me was being signed to the Warriors on a training camp deal where I was going to go play for their, um, their G League team. And they let me go to China with them. You know, I, I did all preseason with them and I got to see uh, a Warriors team that just came off a championship, how they worked, how they ticked, how they operated. And it was amazing to me because I got in there and every day, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson were doing the same routine at the same time every day, you know, no matter what, there was always like a routine to it, whether if it was we flew in late from China or we were on our second day of training camp or the first day of training camp. And it made me realize that these guys are the, the best of the best and have won a championship and they have a routine, no matter sick, ill, will, not feeling great, mad, sad, they're getting their routine done. So no matter what's going on in their life, they're constantly giving themselves to get a small per percent chance better every single day. And that was kind of the turning point in my career because once I got cut in Indiana, I was like, did I just blow the only opportunity that I had to live out a dream that I've had my whole life? Um, so having a routine is something that's been huge to my success. Um, obviously getting waived was probably one of, one of the worst feelings that I've had as a professional. And for the first time in your career, you're told that, you know, you're not good enough to be on this team or you're not the right fit. Um, but with that being said, I, I came up with a routine and I never wavered from that. And I think I tell people this all the time. You wonder why successful people are few and far between. It doesn't matter what field you're in. They, they, they have a routine. And the number one thing that everyone has that's successful is, is grit. They're willing to go longer and harder um, for a longer duration of time than regular people. Because when stuff gets tough, a lot of people want to quit. But how long can you hang on to the rope until you get what you've actually wanted. And uh, I feel like that's kind of been my career, just continuing to grow, stick to my routine, hold on and have enough grit to deal with all the BS um, in any business, but in this business and continue to be successful. You grew up about an hour north of Boston, maybe a half hour. Uh, don't tell me you were a Celtics fan. <laughs> 
Sadly, Mark, uh, you know, I was confused as a young kid. <laughs> uh, I did grow up uh, a Celtics fan. Um, I think it was uh, around in 08 when they won it. Um, and that was kind of me transitioning, you know, into college and, you know, going away for um, to high school, actually, where I kind of, you know, you, you kind of lose touch of the the NBA when you're looking to get recruited by a high major college, you know, you're more focused on college teams than you are the NBA. So uh, as a young age, I remember growing up, going to Celtics games and being a fan. As I grew older, it was kind of like it wasn't I was indifferent about it. And now uh, I live by the motto. I like who likes me. Uh, So so, uh, I am a Sixers diehard. I am. I, we're, we're all from Philly, right? So uh, I, I enjoy embracing, you know, the basketball here, the hockey, the football, the baseball. Uh, I've even seen some indoor lacrosse. So I'm uh-huh. in Philly through and through. Nice. Nice. Uh, let me just add before I go to the next question, Doc Rivers, the coach of that 2018. Uh, the classic NBA question, when did you first pick up a basketball? I think I was six years old. Uh, I saw my dad dunking on a hoop that I thought was 10 foot. So I thought my dad was like Vince Carter. But as I got older, I realized that hoop was probably eight and a half feet. Um, So, um, you know, I I picked it up then and kind of, you know, was dribbling around my neighbor's driveway and shooting. And back then, while I was following the Celtics, there was a player Dana Barrows who actually played for the oh yeah played in Philly sure I got to I got to know him now that I've gotten older and I remember screaming out his name being like that kid that was trying to be him uh little did I know he was not a a six seven power forward he was a (laughs) six one guard um but yeah I picked it up when I was six uh started playing outside and my mom signed me up you know, for our local in-town league. And then it kind of took off from there. But I played multiple sports growing up. And I think that's important for all kids is don't just narrow it down to one. Uh, Do a bunch of different things um, because you definitely don't want to exhaust yourself of just one thing at that age. You just have so much developing and learning to do. By the way, quick story, and then we'll move on. Uh, You mentioned Dana Barros uh, was part of a really bad Sixers team under John Lucas back in the 90s. And was given the keys of the car, set a season record for the team for threes made. And uh, ML Carr, of all people, ended up signing him for the Boston Celtics just to complete that. But I did note that you were a student body president at your prep school in New Hampshire. Uh, Why was that? Do you have any interest in politics? Um, You know, uh, a little bit here and there. Um, to be honest, a lot of things in high school are popularity contests. So I was lucky enough that uh, I was a jock and I was popular enough to get voted in. Um, but it was a huge learning experience for me. Um, it allowed me to learn how to public speak. I got to speak at my graduation, mm-hmm. which I'm sure my mom was kicking and screaming when she uh, found out that and being so happy that I could do that at my graduation. I do have an interest in politics. I I think when you're involved in a community, in a country, it's your duty as a citizen um, to do the right things to make this place a better place. And uh, if I can contribute a little bit every single day to help making the place that I live in, that a place that I've grown up in, the country that I was born and raised in a better place, I think that's our due diligence as a citizen. So I think it's on everybody to um, be involved in politics and not just you know, turn your head or turn your cheek 
um, to what's going on. So uh, it's really important to me um, to get out and find out, you know, what's happening in our community, what's happening in our country and devote um, a part of my life to that um, to continue to make this place a better place. In that vein, is it important to you, no matter your political bent, we don't, we, ben, we don't have to go there, but is it important to you that we stop yelling at each other so much and start listening more? Yeah, I, I think that's huge. Um, you know, we're all brought into this world not to be the same, right? Everybody has their differences. And I was always been told, um, you know, when dealing with other people to love the similarities, but respect the differences. Um, so if someone has a difference in opinion, that doesn't mean that uh, I need to raise my voice and let them know how wrong they are for having that opinion. <laughs> but more or less just to respect the fact that, you know, they have the courage to share that they have a difference in opinion. And, you know, it's okay to close your mouth and open up your ears and learn something every once in a while. I've had to learn that the hard way uh, a couple of times in my life. But um, just as human beings, I think it's it's okay to have differences. That's what makes this world such a great place and so unique that we don't have the same person running around. I think all of us would be going crazy uh, if that were the case. But um, to have differences and to respect them um, and try and learn a little something uh, from everybody on your journey um, would definitely help, like I said before, make this world a better place. The getting over the top, aggravated and uh, upset because someone doesn't see the world the same way that you does is um, I want to say unacceptable, but it, it's we're, we're at a place where the world needs so much more love than it does disrespect and hate. One question in that regard, uh, it, it's become commonplace for athletes now to use their platform. And when they do that, it's not necessarily to say, hey, we should listen to each other, but they they have a particular viewpoint. Do you think that's that's a good thing that athletes should use their platform to further what they think is a good cause? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think athletes, you know, sometimes don't realize how big their platform is um, and they should continue to educate themselves on how big their platform is and what they're addressing on their platform uh, because so many people see what they're saying or what they're putting out there. Um, and it's important um, that they use this platform in a positive light. Um, you know, we've seen on numerous occasions how, you know, athletes have used this platform to help build neighborhoods to, you know, help uh, our education system. There's just so many different things that can help just by bringing um, awareness to everybody that, you know, Social the social media platform mainly has um you know has helped up has helped us out with you know having a Twitter having an Instagram, Facebook um, gathering all these people to have a platform and state what's important to you and how we can change that. Um, the one thing that I I do want to make sure that I say though is um, you know there is a lot of pressure on athletes to speak up and and say things and so I I. Uh, how do I say this? I challenge, you know, all athletes, you know, to continue to educate yourself on topics that you have no clue about. But if you are passionate about them, educate yourself on them before you uh, speak out and use your platform, because you never know who it can affect. And like I said, it's on us as citizens to continue to make this world a better place. So if you're going to speak out, you know, challenge yourself to get out there and know what you're talking about, because uh we have enough uh, internet 
geniuses out there that think they know what they're talking about, but also don't educate themselves on what they're saying. We're going to get back to basketball in just a second. Yeah, but first, yeah. it feels it feels like the right time to sort of, you know, dumb it down a little bit. And a couple of things I'm going to do. First, I'm going to give you a choice between a couple of things. This is going to go fast. I just want you to blurt out the answer. So I'll give you, uh, you know, a choice between two different things. And I want to hear your answer really quick. And then we'll move on to my music library. I'll give you five different artists that I have in my library. And you tell me if you have that in your library, since, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you're about Less than half my age. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. All right, here we go. Choice between two things. Be quick. Here it goes. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Blue or red? Blue. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Rock or rap? Rap. Beach or mountains? Beach. Chocolate or vanilla? Uh, Don't chocolate. think about it. Chocolate. <laughs> Hot or cold? Hot. Plain or peanuts? Peanuts. Think, thick or thin? <laughs> thick. <laughs> Maximum or minimum? Maximum. All right. Five artists that I have in my music library. You tell me if I match up with you. The Beatles? Yes. John Mayer? Absolutely. Notorious B.I.G.? Definitely. Quincy Jones. No chance. No chance. And Nikki Yanofsky. <laughs> I don't know if I have those last two in my, uh, in my life. Quincy Jones, look him up. He's, uh, he, he, he's a Hall of Famer in so many different respects. He's a brilliant composer, is uh, known for jazz, but also R&B. He is just, uh, he's an amazing guy. But so is John Mellencamp. Yes. And you know a little something about John Mellencamp. Tell me what you know about him. Well, you know, I I grow up and my mom was constantly playing old school music around me. And uh, that name, obviously, when it comes up, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story about it. We were actually uh, in Denver. But to get back to it, John Mellencamp sings Jack and Diane. And that was a song that my mom constantly played while I was, you know, growing up. But... I never really realized that it was sung by John Mellencamp. I just was like, oh, that Jack and Diane song. So we're in uh, Denver and I just get done getting a massage. It was actually a little while ago. And uh, I'm going on, getting on the elevator and there's this old guy and younger age guy. And I get on and I'm like, ah, this elevator might be going down. I'm, I'm weighing a little too much. And the old guy looks me up and down. He's real serious. He's like, ah, I think you're good. I think you're good. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, you know what? I appreciate that. And he's, we're riding up the elevator and uh, he says to me, he's like, are you one of those basketball guys? And I'm like, at this point, I'm just being an idiot. I'm like, yeah, I, I hope we can kick Denver's ass tomorrow. <laughs> and he just didn't have much to say. And uh, I'm thinking as we're going up, I'm about to get off. The doors are opening and I'm like, are you like a, a basketball fan or something? He's like, no. I'm John Mellencamp. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm George Niang. And I shake his hand. And in my head, I'm like, why did this guy give me his full name on the elevator? Like, what? Like, why would oh, he? Oh, you had no idea at that I'm like, time. What? I'm like, why would he do that? But I'm like, John Mellencamp. John Mellencamp. And I'm like, <laughs> And by so, that time, he's gone, right? 
Yeah, so as I get off the elevator, the doors are closing, and I'm like, John Mellencamp, and <laughs> he disappears in, into the, the night or whatever. And uh, and I remember calling my mom and be like, you're not going to believe who I just ran into on the elevator. And it was just like the most simplistic thing. And I was Googling him. I'm like, that's the guy. And what did your mom say? <clears throat> she was like, how could you not? I played that song all the time for right, you. And right. So I disappointed her and missed the chance to get a photo up. Oh, boy. Well, you haven't missed a chance as far as Tyrese Maxey is concerned. You've taken him in many ways under your wing. Uh, how did all that start? Why did you even do that? Um, you know, Tyrese is is going to be a successful human basketball player, whether if he met me or not. Um, you know, I came into Philly. It was his second year um, and everything, you know, with the Ben Simmons thing. It, Tyrese was starting, coming off the bench. Shake Milton gets injured. Tyrese is starting. And a lot of pressure was put on Tyrese to perform. And to his credit, he has done exactly that. Um, but there are some tough times, and I just wanted to be there for him uh, to, to know that he has someone to put his arm around him um, mm. and believes in him. Um, and no matter what, um, that he'd always have someone to lean on. Um, so in that aspect, you know, I've, I've kind of taken him under my wing. By any means, I have not taught him his moves to the rim or how to dunk on people. Um, but I, I, I want to try and take a little credit for his three-point shooting ability. But no, I'm just kidding. He's he's done a great job and tremendous job. But Tyrese is such a joy to be around. The happy guy that you see uh, from the outside looking in is the same person that he is on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, being around such a positive person like that um, – it, I feel like it was only right for me to try and, you know, guide him along the way. Um, but to no avail, he he does not need my help. He's going to be successful either way. But I'm glad that I can be a small part uh, in his life, especially while I'm here in Philadelphia. It's funny, too, because I know you're very competitive. And here is the student, so to speak, whizzing past the teacher. His three-point percentage is at 43%. You ended the year at 40%. Um, and I know you're uber competitive. I, I would imagine it makes for a lot of jokes. Is that right? Yes. The funny thing is we actually have the stats up in the facility. And when he was shooting like 38% and I was shooting in the 40s, I was telling him, like, there's no chance you'll catch me. There's absolutely not. And he, you know, he took that to heart and went out there. And I remember there's games he was shooting like six for seven. I was like, mm -hmm. you need to go out there. If we're already winning, you need to go out there and miss some more shots. <laughs> um, but we have a belt that we give out and we give it out at the end of the year. So uh, as of Monday, yesterday, I walked in and saw that the belt was on his locker. And I was like, dang it. He's. He surpassed me, but uh, I couldn't be happier for him. He's worked so hard and he deserves all the success that's coming his way. We talked about you uh, being very competitive uh, it, and you it's pretty clear you like to talk your share of trash. Why is that? Um, You know, I just think that's being from the Northeast. I mean, I think any Philadelphian can can understand that is uh, trash talking is an art. It's simply used to, you know, have enough uh, wherewithal to realize you may be lacking, whether that's in ath athletic ability or physical ability or, you know, anything else. And using trash talking to make someone start thinking about something else that takes them off their game so that you can uh, take advantage of, of their mishaps. 
Um, and alongside that is, is being emotional. I'm an emotional player. If I'm excited, you're going to see it. If I'm pissed off, you're going to see it. And if I have something to say, you're going to see it. And, uh, I've been lucky enough to, to be in this city for two years where, uh, that's embraced, you know, that's, they want more of that. Yeah, Um, for sure. And, uh, I, I enjoy that. That's who I am and I'm not going to change for anybody. Um, and running my mouth is just something I've done, uh, my whole life. Has it got me a couple fat lips? Yes, but it hasn't changed how I'm going to act. Not at least not yet. So with that, I have to ask you about Angel Reese and you know the whole John Cena thing and what she did in the title game. How you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm all in for trash talking. I, I thought you know this is one of the first times that I really was dialed in um, to the whole women's NCAA tournament. They did a remarkable job. Um, and the championship game was unreal. And, uh, the fact that, you know, Iowa and I went to school in Iowa, not at the University of Iowa, but, um, I was definitely dialed into what Caitlin Clark was doing. Um, and Angel Reese is a heck of a player. Uh, the timing of the trash talking, uh, it, it could have been better, but I respect it. You know, if, if you're going to win and, and you have a lot to say and you're emotional, do what you got to do. Cause let me tell you, if roles were reversed, I don't think Caitlin Clark would have been holding back either. So, uh, I think there's room in the game for trash talking. Um, you know, I, I think some people get a little too sensitive about it. Like it's nothing personal. It, you know, if you lost, take your loss, go home and get them back next time. And if you won, uh, you just better not talk too much trash so that the next time comes around you ain't ready for what I'm about to pull out after after I beat you. Ben Simmons, I know you've uh, you've made your feelings known about Ben at least a number of months ago. Uh, I'd like to get your take only because my own feeling about Ben is that it's actually twofold. One, I, he definitely bears some responsibility for what has happened to him, certainly as it relates to his game. But on the other hand, I've always felt as though mental health has been stigmatized. It's not like you had a foot injury and people can see that and they say, all right, he's got a foot injury. We excuse him. Uh, you know, Ben obviously had some mental health issues that he had to deal with. Uh, where, what's your take on Ben these days? Um, you know, it's unfortunate. Uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, the situation played out the way it did, um, you know, especially for him. Uh he has his own battles, his own things that he needs to, you know, address and, and grow. Um, but as, as far as, you know, the, the basketball standpoint, um, I think, you know, you, you said it correctly. <clears throat> he has to take responsibility for, for some of those things. Um, and uh, I understand that mental health is, is stigmatized Um and it, it needs to be addressed. And there are people that have real things going on, um, which I can I can understand that 100 um, percent. And there's a lot that's asked of us as professional athletes that people do not see and that can cause anxiety, that can cause depression. And when all things are going wrong, you feel like your walls are closing in on you. I will never know what it's like to walk in Ben Simmons shoes. I, I, I never will. I never have. Um, that's just reality. I only know what it's like to walk in George Niang's shoes. Um, so that, that's all I will ever know. And, uh, I'll leave it at this is, you know, you can only control three things in your life, your attitude, your effort, and how you treat other people. 
Um, and I've had to come to my own kumbaya moments of, you know, what I've said about him and, you know, realize that, you know, I don't, I never know, I've never known what's going on with him inside his head. Um, so that I have to give him the respect of, you know, and the, the delicacy of he's going through some stuff. Sure. Were we supposed to be teammates where we were teammates, but never played alongside each other. Um, but he has to address himself as a human first before a basketball player. Enough said. Uh, and forgive me for asking this, but I, I need to understand, or let me put it to you this way. There are people out there who do not understand or know of the derivation of minivan. So for the 999,000th time, please tell the story. How'd you get that nickname? Yeah, when I was in Utah, I was sitting on the bench. I was, I think I was out the rotation and I got in late in the game and had an opportunity to go dunk it. And it was kind of like real nasty hands, barely touching the rim. And uh, I got back to the locker room and Joe Ingles was like, man, like, what the heck was that? That was disgusting. And, you know, Donovan Mitchell was like, yeah, like, you, did you even jump? And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know you guys are like Ferraris, but I'm more like a minivan. I need a couple <laughs> laps around the block before I get to top speed. And then our sideline reporter heard it while she was in. This is when reporters were allowed to be in the locker room. And she was like, ah, the minivan. I love that. And uh, kind of ran with it, did a story on it. And then uh, Derek Gardunio, uh, one of our guys over in uh, Utah, made a hoodie that had my face out mm. the front of it. And he was the originator of that. And uh, now it's it's carried on with me to Philly. When I first was coming to Philly, I was like, these people are intense sports fans. I'm not sure I want that nickname because they could – give the minivan a flat tire, but they've embraced it. They've given me a couple tune-ups and, and here we are in year two. One last question. You got plenty of time to go in the NBA, but it seems like you've already planned your second career. I understand you want to do what I'm doing. And in fact, you have a podcast with Lauren Rosen, the 76ers reporter. But um, from what she tells me, it's an idea that you came up with. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always been interested in speaking my mind and having people listen. And this kind of forces people to listen to me. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I enjoy the aspects of getting to know people, um, talking about different topics. Um, anyone that knows me knows that I love to talk and why not put it to good use. But I will tell you this, uh, broadcasters, podcasters, color commentators, um, any radio host, anybody that's in the business, they do not get enough credit for the amount of research that goes into actually being successful. Um, it's one thing to just show up and be good and rely on natural talent. Um, but that's rare, you know, as, as you can attest to Mark is you got to know what you're talking about and you got to know who you're interviewing. And that just doesn't come off just common knowledge. Otherwise you're just left with a blah, um, you know, product and nobody wants a blab product. They, they want the pizzazz. They want the questions that they didn't even think about answering. They want you to ask questions that gets the person that you're talking to, to tell a story that can paint a picture. And, uh, I'm sure, you know, Mark, sometimes you, you talk to people that it's like pulling teeth to get them to, to give you more than just a one word answer. Um, so you have to be creative in your own right to, tap and touch on different things when you're talking to these people to get them to create a good interview. It, it takes two to tango in this and 
you're kind of the conductor. So you kind of have to steer the ship in the right direction. Um, and that's kind of how it's been with podcasting. I was lucky enough that the MBPA offered something for me to take classes um, on, you know, broadcasting and MBA broadcaster U. Uh, I got to do that two years in a row. And that was something that helped me tremendously. Um, I got to call a summer league game in Utah. Uh, I got to do a little sideline reporting. And uh, the one thing I realized uh, or two things that I realized is one, um, you need to be yourself. And uh, two is get out there and just try because the more reps you get, the better off you'll be. George Niang, I predict greatness for you as a broadcaster and a long career as an NBA player. My friend, thank you so much. Mark, thank you so much for having me on.